Hey guys, this is Justin. Welcome into another episode of Dirt Tracker Conversations. I know it's been a little while since we did one of these, but I've got a good one for you this week. Uh, one of the new names, new faces, new voices we heard on Dirt Vision this summer was Hannah Newhouse. She jumped on and did some pit reporting with the World of Outlaws Late Model Series this summer. The normal pit reporter, Ruben Morales, is also the summer nationals announcer. So while he was off doing that, Hannah jumped in and kind of filled that role during the summer months. And she joins me this time. Uh, she's one of those people, if you, if you are up on the NASCAR world, you'll have heard her on MRN. Uh, you'll see her coming up on NBC Sports. She's going to do some uh, IMSA work as well. Um, but she jumps on to talk all things World of Outlaws Late Model Series with me. We talk about her kind of announcing work, how she kind of got to where she is, uh, her prep work, how you kind of go from from being a driver in, in, a, in a pavement uh, you know, media personality to being somebody on the dirt side and all of the work that comes along with that. But uh, a lot of good stuff over the next about 30 minutes with Hannah. So uh, please enjoy the show. My audience that I have will probably know you mostly from Dirt Vision, but you're on MRN. You've co or you've co-hosted Doorbumper Clear. Um, you, you know, you just announced a new deal with NBC. So um, walk me through kind of just briefly your kind of journey to get to the point. I know you you've driven some in the past also. So how do you go from like, you know, where you're from and driving to now doing all of this media work? Well, a pure accident. Let's start with that. Um, you know, I grew up in Southern Idaho and I always get the joke of uh, there's race cars out in Southern Idaho. Well, there's not a lot of them. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so we did a lot of traveling up and down the coast, you know, to Washington, Oregon, down to California. And we just traveled where the tracks were. And it was usually 10 and 12 hour days. Um, you know, and I'm thankful my parents did everything they could to give me the opportunities, which eventually when I was 16 led to um, putting a deal together with Toyota. And they were like, hey, we kind of need you to move to the East Coast. There's not really a big demographic force on the West Coast. Our super late model team at the time was uh, David Gill and racing. Come out here. You're going to drive for them. Moved out here. Didn't pan out. Um, ran a couple races for them. You know, nothing really seemed to seem to move or progress with Toyota. So here I was, you know, 17, 18 years old across the country in a lease. Had just dropped out of college. I was like, what am I going to do? And I took a job with a small media outlet covering short track racing, thought I wanted to be a writer and a journalist with maybe some like business management side. And they were like, well, we're going to put you in front of the camera for some stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. Sounds good. Which I mean, it's just tailspin ever since then, you know, I was with them for a year and then MRN called me and wanted me to host their NASCAR coast to coast stuff since I knew short track racing, which then turned into a pit road audition, which then turned into, I mean, it's just. It's been crazy to think that I moved here in 2016 and showed up here wanting to be a race car driver with no experience in broadcasting and where I've ended up. But I, you know, I'm super thankful for the opportunities. I have learned more about every facet of motorsports than I ever thought I would learn. Walk me through a little bit the, uh, I feel like when, you know, and I'm sure you've had this too, but when people reach out to me, like wanting to get into motorsports, I feel like you cannot underscore enough, like networking and just like being not afraid to just go talk to people and meet people. But for you, like, help me understand kind of like how important those networking op opportunities were for you and, and kind of how you have moved kind of through all of this as you've gotten to know more and more people. Right. It's always, they always say it's about who, you know, and then it's about what, you know, to keep you there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was a huge part of it. You know, I got my first job because I used to be a driver and kept in touch with the media outlets that I worked with when I was doing interviews and that got me there. And then, you know, that kept me in touch with MRN um, because I'd done some interviews over there to get an interview. And, you know, even something as simple as 
having someone else make those connections. You know, I've been fortunate that I have people in my corner that, you know, it's a cutthroat industry in every, in every degree, in every facet in this industry, uh, it's cutthroat, but I'm fortunate to be surrounded by people that are like, Hey, we'll make the introduction. We're not going to put our neck on the line for you, but we'll make the introduction. And then it's on you from there. So, you know, I was lucky to have some people introduce me to, you know, higher ups that have made connections through, through the media networks, you know, Jim Chappelle that works at dirt vision. Uh, I reached out to him via LinkedIn and I was like, well, this is going to go one way or another. Here we go. And you know, when I called him, he said at the moment, this was last summer, we don't have any opportunities for you. And I was like, okay, cool. Sounds good. I appreciate it. But just kind of kept in touch, kept that email rotation going, which has then landed me, you know, what was supposed to be 10, 12 races with dirt vision was closer to 20. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's all about, I mean, you know, all about the networking, who, you know, to get you there, what, you know, to keep you there. For sure. Uh, I, I want to have you on mostly to talk about your, your dirt vision time and, and, you know, the time you spent on the road with the world of outlaws late model series, but you come into kind of pit report when you know, Ruben is kind of the normal Ruben Rellis is kind of the normal pit reporter for dirt vision with the word of Outlaws late middle series. But then when the summer nationals rolls around, he jumps off to do the announcing for that. So that's kind of where you come in. You get this opportunity to, to go do this with the word of Outlaws late middle series. What's your dirt racing knowledge like before this and how much kind of research and, and, and watching races and all of this stuff did you have to do kind of leading up into that? A lot. I did a lot of research. So uh, my dirt background was virtually non-existent until I met and, you know, started dating my boyfriend of Dylan Welch, but then that turned my dirt knowledge to midget racing and sprint cars. Like that's pretty much what we watched. We, you know, he races micros every once in a while at Millbridge. So all of a sudden I became very infiltrated in the USAC racing world, but didn't really know anything about dirt late models. To be quite frank, didn't really know anything about the sprint cars. You know, you know, the names, you know, the faces, but couldn't tell you too much about them. Um, so when Jim reached out to me about this opportunity, I was a little nervous because it was something completely new. I felt a little bit more in my comfort zone with it being the late models because I come from late model racing while it's dirt. I feel like there's a lot of similarities to some extent on how the cars are built and the suspension and stuff is a lot different. Um, but I just felt more comfortable in the late model side of things. So it, it panned out great. I studied like no one's business. And the thing that threw me off the most. And this is how spoiled we are in the world of NASCAR is I remember weeks leading up to the races. I was like, Hey, can I get an entry list? Like, do you guys have any statistical advances, anything like that? And they were like, no, we usually get an entry list about 10 minutes before hot laps. And I'm like, how am I supposed to prep for this? And my first race, well, what first race weekend was like state line, Thunder mountain and Sealands Grove, which we ended up getting pretty much completely rained out for the most part. Um, but my second race was Lernerville for firecracker. And there was like 60 plus cars. And I was like, how am I supposed to prep for this when you don't know who's coming? You know, I don't know who to look for, who to look up stuff. So it was a lot of learning on the fly, running through the pits, you know, making the introductions, getting to know people. Um, and then after that, you know, you kind of, you keep up with everyone's stuff. You're paying attention to it. You're watching the races that, that you're not at. Um, but yeah, I know way more about dirt late model racing than I, ever thought I would know. Uh, you, you know, you get this opportunity to do this and I, I'm, I'm curious about your kind of own technical knowledge. And, and, you know, I feel like a lot of times with people in the media, it's like they come through, they have the media background and then they kind of have to learn the racing and learn the technical stuff. And I'm guessing that you're probably the complete opposite where it's like, you know, the racing, you know, the technical stuff, and then trying to learn 
So like, you know, what are kind of like some more unique challenges for you specifically with what your own background is, as, as you've kind of moved into this? Um, well, fortunately, I feel like I've always been really comfortable in the aspect of talking and being in front of a crowd and being media oriented, you know, and I think I got that background from being a driver myself. Like I just was always in it, always working in it, was doing stuff with my college as a sponsor. Um, so I feel like that set me apart, which has been nice to be a, a girl, but be one that knows the technical side of things and on the media has, has helped me a lot. And I feel like it's helped create and cultivate these relationships with drivers too. Cause I can come up and say something that's relevant about, you know, the setup of the car or what's going on with it or, or something like that. But, um, I think just some of the changes was learning, you know, a lot of people don't realize what goes into live broadcasting, especially someone who had no broadcasting experience prior to being thrown on the air. And I remember my first race ever on air was at Texas Motor Speedway, spring of 18, um, with MRN. And I was going to puke. Like I was so sick to my stomach. I was so nervous because, you know, I'd sat in through a race and you hear it, but then to all of a sudden be on it where you're listening to program, listening to scanners, and then listening to your producer in the two way, you know, you've got 10 things going on. They might come down to you. So it was just like learning the lingo, learning the routine, you know, and I'm about ready to have a whole new challenge in front of me with NBC. You know, it's one thing to go from live radio to then like, you know, the dirt vision side of things, which to me is a really happy medium of the short track racing side of things with the laxness. And, you know, I can joke around with Rick Eshelman and there's not a lot of pressure, but it's still live. Like it's still, you're working with the producer, you're going back and forth. And now I've got the NBC thing. So uh, that's about ready to be a whole new learning curve to, you know, see how they do live TV. Um, so just learning the logistics, learning the simple, you know, the lingo, uh, how things go was definitely the biggest thing. And they always say you can teach a person TV, but it's harder to teach a person racing than it is to teach a person TV. So I kind of got lucky that I fit in that little nook. How long did it take once you're kind of out there with the Waterbelt Osley Moto guys before they kind of like warm up to you and you can walk up to Shepard or Mark Richards or Chris Madden or some of these guys and, and have them not kind of look at you funny before you start just lobbing questions at them? Well, they did this. I will wholeheartedly commend Dirt Vision for this. Before my first race, they actually flew me out to Port Royal when Ruben was still working and basically said, you are going to follow Ruben around. And Ruben did a phenomenal job of literally walking me into every trailer and basically being like, this is Hannah. She's going to, you know, do the pit reporting for me over summer nationals. So I got an introduction face to face prior to me walking up and throwing questions at them. Um, I think a lot of them initially, and I don't blame them because I get this a lot. I got the, who is this chick? Why is she here? They're just going to put a girl on camera kind of a look. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame them. Like I would probably make that judgment as well until proven different. Um, so I would say probably after Learnerville, they were like, okay, she knows what she's talking about. Like, you know, they've, I've talked to most of them by then I've been in their trailers. I've asked them pre-race questions. And then at that point, I mean, it was, it was game on. It was free for all. I mean, they were messing with me, you know, they'd throw curveballs back at me. And I felt, I felt like I fit in really, really quickly. And I told, I've told a lot of people that like for being a complete outsider, you know, three races prior to three races later. I mean, they just took me in and we have, I, I had so much fun this summer with that group between the officials and, you know, the road crew and the teams, like they're just, that is a, that is an untapped gem of a group. Like there's a lot of obviously eyes and stuff on the sprint car side of things, but man, the late model group is a, a little bit of a hidden gem, I would say.
Yeah, for sure. That like, the, you know, the group of, of Eshelman and Casey Schumann and Tyler Bachman and, and Kenny, like the, the officials kind of behind the scenes there. And, and, you know, it's a super fun group to kind of be around. Yeah. And, and I, I wish more people kind of got to see those kind of dynamics behind the scenes and like all of the crazy stuff that comes out of Bachman's mouth, you know, kind of through the course of spending any amount of time with him. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a super fantastic group to be a part of. What are your you know, now that you're kind of beyond it a little bit here, but you're kind of overall impressions of, of the world of outlaws late model series season, you know, I, in the past couple of years, we've had, you know, Shepard just kind of dominate everyone. And, and this year it's been a lot tighter and I, you know, I still think Shepard's going to win the championship here, but a lot different winners and, and a lot more guys kind of in contention. But like, when you kind of look at the racing itself, kind of what, you know, what do you think about what you saw this summer? Well, I think you hit it on there with, you know, Shepard. I mean, he's obviously just something that's going on at that rocket team. They have it figured out everywhere they go. They obviously have a little bit of an upper hand in the sense that they're probably some of the longer full-time tour runners. So they've been to most of these racetracks, um, you know, but it's just impressive what they're able to do each and every week. They are a top-notch fine-tuned, I mean, team. They show up, they've got a routine. There is no messing with it. It is to a T every single time they get to the racetrack, um, which is a big, you know, part of their success. Um, I think one of the most impressive things that I watched and we probably, you know, overkilled it a little on the broadcast was just the rookies that they had in the group this year, you know, Tyler Bruning, Ryan Gustin, they had been to, I think they told me five racetracks total on the schedule. So every time they were going to the racetrack, it was a new track and nine times out of 10, one of them was in the top five in practice or finishing well within the podium. So still haven't won yet, but I feel like that's a pretty impressive season that could carry on more so into next year. If they both decide to run the tour, um, you know, Madden, when he's not on top, he's on the bottom. Like he, if he ain't winning and finishing first or second, he's taking the fence down with him. And that's something that you enjoy as a spectator in the sense that you just don't know, like he's unpredictable, but he's fast. Um, but it, it was cool. Like it was, it was good to also go to these racetracks where, you know, you have Hess winning twice this year mm -hmm. and, you know, you've got heck and Ash junior just showing up on the Northern tour and putting a waxing to us for the most of the time. And, you know, Dennis Herb getting a couple wins this year. That's been cool. He's one of the funniest interviews ever because I just truly don't ever know what he's going to say. And if it's going to be more than five words, like that's what they all told me. They're like, if you ever interview Dennis, just be prepared. If we give you a three minute interview to fill for two minutes and 45 seconds, <laughs> it's like sweet. Um, but I got to know that group really well and have thoroughly enjoyed them. Uh, they're just, just the, the personalities have been phenomenal. Um, the racing has been good. Holy cow. That last stint that I went on where we went to Sharon, uh, Williams Grove. I'm trying to think where else we went. That was a long stint. Um, but that, that whole stint back up North in Pennsylvania, you know, Oh, Erie's was one of them four nights of absolutely phenomenal racing where I was like, why have I not been watching this since the get go? Like it was just exciting. I can't have you on here and not ask you about Larson. And I, and I know yeah. obviously you have plenty of contact with him on, on the other side of things, but just what we've seen of him this year and, and you getting opportunity to see him even in the late model, like how insane is it? And, and especially as somebody with, with driving experience yourself, that he's able to do what he's able to do and jump from car type to car type with like almost no transition. I mean, I don't think we'll ever see it done again, to be quite honest with you. Like the, the raw talent and, you know, the confidence is like the thing that's insane. You know, you watched, we watched him at Fairbury jump in at PDC and, instantaneously in the top of practice, you know, and he's obviously comfortable with, you know, Rumley in that car and whatnot. But I mean, it's just like unfathomable to be able to get in a car a handful of times and be competitive with folks that have four and five championships 
and that are, you know, some of the toughest competitors in the country. And I, it, he makes them look like chopped liver. Like I hate to say it, but I mean, it almost makes it look easy because Kyle can just show up and do it. It's just, it's just insane to watch. Like even at Williams Grove, when we were watching him, just everything was so smooth, calm, collected with him. Like he's just, he's not out there trying to prove anything. He just is in, it's incredible. Like there's not even words for it because it's hard to explain what he's doing. I don't think we'll ever see it done again. Yeah. Uh, two guys that have had really tough seasons with the outlaws in, in Kay Dillard and Ricky Weiss, you know, what are the conversations you've had with those guys and, and kind of what are your impressions about what their futures look like? I know Kate at this point has kind of fallen off the tour and, and, you know, Ricky has really kind of struggled with getting his kind of own chassis going this season, but what were your kind of impressions of where those guys are headed? Yeah. I feel like, you know, Ricky was definitely frustrated just as a, a mid packer. You know, we saw him last year, uh, have quite a bit of success. You know, he had some earlier in the season, but he kind of just plateaued this season and that frustration on a driver. If you can't get over it, I feel like I'll just grasp you. Like at this point, I feel like they're honestly just writing the season out. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, let's just get through it. We're not going to probably improve any in the point standings much. Let's just get through the rest of the year and then rethink it. And, you know, I feel like Cade, Cade kind of had a Chris Madden season originally in the sense of where like he was on top. And when he was on top, like he was second, third winning, you know, he got a win earlier in the year. Um, and when he wasn't, he was wrecking stuff, you know, and they're the, they're the lone chassis out there for that team. So they didn't really have anyone to lean on. And of course, you know, we've seen it all over social media. He's got young ones. That's so hard to be away from them. Um, that is a grueling schedule. I'll give everyone that's on that tour that, and especially the sprint car tour. Cause I can't, they're insane, mm-hmm. but like even the late model tour, you know, the Northern swing, we were gone 15, 16 days. And, you know, when you got little ones at home, that definitely makes it that it makes it tough. And I feel like there was a mental side of it for him as well. That was maybe away from the racetrack sometimes. Um, but they were fast. So it's like when they were high, they were on top of it and you're like, yep, we're going to keep doing this. And then you go wreck three nights in a row on the Northern swing. And you're like, I'd rather just be home with my kids. So, um, yeah, those are tough seasons. We all have them, you know, as drivers and it's, uh, the, the joke of winning fixes everything. I feel like comes to it. Like if Ricky were to break through and get a win here in the next couple of weeks, I think we'd see a different Ricky. You know what I mean? Like it just, that mentality can change. And when you're racing that many times a year and you don't win and you're having bad, bad weeks and bad day after day after day, it'll, it'll take a toll on you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you got to kind of see a bunch of different tracks and, and some different events and, and, you know, the PDC is, is one of those that I feel like everybody just kind of is like, they just wait for that one to come every single year. And, and I'm curious what your impressions of, of the PDC were this year. Yeah. Again, not knowing anything about dirt racing. I remember for years now seeing, you know, hashtag falls, hashtag PDC. Oh, we're going to PDC and having not a clue what it was, what, what it had anything to do with, you know, everyone, I just would see up posts on social media, the party pictures, the bus, the campgrounds. And I was like, Oh, that looks like fun. Wonder what that is. Uh, I just, I got to experience it this year, you know, not, not so much the partying aspect of it. Cause usually by the time the races were over, I mean, we'd hang out for a little while afterwards and go to the band or something like that, but that is the coolest environment. And I have, as of recently become an advocate for it. When I tell people, you know, okay, if you're going to pick four things to go to, as far as races, you need a bucket list. Chili bowl is obviously one of them. Um, PDC needs to be on there somewhere. PDC needs to be on there. Like they shut that tiny town completely down. There are people camping on the diamond field of, or the, the baseball diamond of the high school. 
campers everywhere and you just ride golf carts around and that's it. Like you ride golf carts to the Casey's you ride golf carts to lunch. It is, I mean, it is just an environment like nothing I've ever seen. The fans are crazy. You know, the drivers there, there were a lot of drivers that were out very, very, very late, <laughs> if not well into the morning, the weekends of PDC. I think they're crazy. I can't function like that anymore. I think that means I'm getting old, but yeah, the environment was so freaking cool. And like the fans and the grandstands to be a part of the broadcast. Like I even told Dylan, I was like, if I don't work PDC next year, we're going like, we're going to buy a camper, rent a camper. We are going just to be fans at PDC. Cause it was so cool. Who is a guy kind of out on tour that maybe like doesn't get a ton of pub that somebody that you think is, has a great personality or somebody that's like really great with the fans. Like who, who is somebody that would surprise us if they kind of rose to, to prominence a little more. Um, that's a tough one. <laughs> a lot of those guys, and this is no disrespect to him. A lot of those guys really embody the nitty gritty short track racer, which, you know, can come across different ways in interviews and with fans, not that any of them aren't good with fans, but you know, they're just there to race. Like they mm -hmm. forget the part of social media and they forget the fan engagement. They, that doesn't cross their brain. Cause that's just not how they're programmed. Um, and you see that with a lot of like the older generation, some of the drivers, um, I heard Casey Schumann one time, I think, I don't know if it's exactly the quote, but, but pretty close, but it's like late model racing is like grown men racing for a living. And I, and I, I guess it's like, is that like what you saw kind of through all of this too? hundred percent. Yeah. Like there wasn't, you know, there wasn't anyone worried about if their suit was clean for the next race or making sure they got the picture posted that they qualified on the pole. You know, there just, there was no concern with that. They probably could have cared less if I came and interviewed them, to be honest with you. Like it is totally true. Like it was just grown men. And that's what it like reminded me of the short track racing days. Like when I used to go race, you know, and tour with the late models out West, you didn't care about that stuff. Like it was older men that I was racing with. It was the guys that raced with my dad. And like, that is just what they did. They eat, sleep, breathe to make sure that car was ready. Um, you know, Tyler Bruning was one that kind of surprised me. Eventually he's kind of quiet. Doesn't have a lot to say, but like when you get him talking, it's actually pretty funny, pretty quirky. And could be, you know, one that if he runs full time with the tour next year, could be one that I think could, you know, surprise some people. Um, but again, quiet, not a lot to say, like, they're just not thinking about that stuff. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of them, you know, even like Frankie Heckenhouse Jr. I think he's going to run full time on the tour next year is what he made a comment about. And, you know, he's one that I think when you get him in the right environment can be pretty funny, pretty quirky. And, you know, he's got a little one on the way as well. So uh, that always opens opens up some personality when you throw kids in the mix. Uh, but yeah, no, there's, it, it was definitely a change of pace and a change of scenery for me. When you go from the NASCAR side of thing, where I can pretty much, pretty much quote what is going to come out of someone's mouth before I ask the question. Like I already know what they're going to say before I ask it into going into the dirt late model world and asking a question and having no idea how this question is going to be answered. I, I guess that was going to be something else I was going to ask you about too, is, is differences you know, as you go do different series, whether it's pavement or dirt, or, you know, you said, you know, going to the super dirt car series stuff this weekend, like what are differences that you kind of see, you know, from, from infield and, in, you know, to infield pit area to pit area kind of among all of these different series. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a world of difference, obviously between, you know, the NASCAR side of things and even like the world of outlaw of things. I mean, it is very protocoled right now, especially in the world of NASCAR where you can and can't be who you can and can't talk to how this is going to work, you know, Okay, you've got this window and this window to go talk to these drivers and get this stuff prepped. Um, 
and it's kind of exhausting to be totally honest with you. And so, I mean, yeah, you know, you're, you're part of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's you're, you're pretty locked down on how things work where the dirt vision side of things, I actually took three races off from NASCAR this summer to go work with the world of outlaws. And I think it was a saving grace in a lot of ways because it was a good little mental break. I got to experience things that I probably wouldn't have gotten to experience the people so lax walk right up in their trailer. You know what I mean? Have a conversation with them. You're hanging out with them. There's just not a divide. I think that's been the biggest thing that I've learned is, you know, at the NASCAR races, fortunately I'm friends with a lot of the lower division drivers, like the Xfinity and the truck guys, because I race late models with them. Um, and so I'll talk with them, but there's still that like divide of I'm media, they're drivers. And it's like, you go to these big block races and you go to these, you know, outlaw late model races, even some of the pavement stuff around here, there's no longer a divide. They're like, Hey, what do you want? You, we're, we've got food grilling back here. Do you want something Were you guys going to dinner? We'll go with you. You're hanging out with them between the road. Um, and that was like a huge, just you're, you're a little traveling family. And I feel like that's the biggest thing that I absorbed from the outlaws and, you know, probably even from the big blocks this weekend is there wasn't any judgment. No one really cared. You were just part of the traveling circus now. And everyone was kind of on the same playing field and it was really refreshing. It was really nice. What does your uh, prep look like this week for, for the big block shows? Obviously a, a big money race this weekend for those guys, 25 grand at, at Lebanon Valley. But, um, you know, wh- have you been kind of locked into dirt vision watching some of those old races? And, you know, what's that, what's that prep look like for this week? Yeah, more or less just looking up, you know, um, the past couple of weeks finishes and that kind of stuff to kind of see where the point standings are, what storylines are going into it. Obviously it's a big paying race. So you're probably going to see a lot of guys come out of the woodworks, which uh, always makes my job so much fun. Cause again, those pre-entry lists, pretty much non-existent. <laughs> Love that. Um, but fortunately a lot of the guys that I actually work with, whether it be on the world racing group side or the dirt vision side are pretty familiar with that area. Like my producer, Alex Borland, he's from that neck of the woods. He's worked a lot of the super dirt, you know, super dirt car stuff. So he's been helping me. Um, the PR guy for the outlaw late models, Mike Warren, that's basically his home track. Mm-hmm. So he's been sending me, you know, here's the local guys. Here's who's been doing what he w- worked one of the races a couple weeks ago at orange County. So uh, you know, to be quite honest with the prep work for this kind of stuff is probably a little bit more minimal than I would have anticipated. Like I did originally when I went to the late model stuff, uh, cause a lot of the stuff that you're getting is on the ground. Like you, you know, when you get there, you're going and talking to people, have you been here? How do you run here? Cause it's kind of hard to find statistics. I mean, NASCAR stuff, you just, it gets sent to you. They're like, here, how, here's where Kyle Bush has finished every single time he's been at Texas motor speedway. And you're like, Oh, cool. And you can't really find that stuff. <laughs> so uh, a lot of that stuff is groundwork. Yeah. Has this changed, you know, going in and running and in, in working these dirt races, has it changed your approach for the other things that you're going to do? You know, your, your, your NASCAR stuff, like, are you, you know, are you going to kind of switch up like your routines and things like that kind of based on what you've learned here? Yeah, absolutely. I, that was actually the main reason that I kind of, you know, took the dirt vision stuff and um, took those races off from NASCAR is it's all, it's all, you know, building up and learning. And one of the big things that I had gotten feedback on, you know, from big networks over the off season was, Hey, great. We know you can talk because we can hear you on radio, but what's your on-camera presence? Because I had minimal on-camera presence. I was always working radio. So when the opportunity came up to work, you know, 15 times in front of a camera, I was like, sign me up, whatever I need to do, sign me up. And So the confidence to be able to walk into situations, I don't want to say not prepped, but more on the fly and just relying on your knowledge and your capability to cultivate questions and to be able to listen to someone 
and then create a question off of that answer into the follow-up question um, was something that I really had to rely on. You know, heat races, we, we'd interview third place. You don't probably know who's going to be third place until as soon as they cross the line, let alone to maybe have statistics on them. So you're just really in the moment. And that helped me a ton, even this past weekend, you know, at Daytona with the playoffs and you never know, you don't know who's going to win until they cross the start finish line. So to be able to prep anything like a victory lane interview or a second, third, or, you know, we interviewed all 16 playoff drivers. Um, it, it created a lot more confidence and the capability to just trust my gut instinct of being on the fly, like of knowing, okay, you're here for a reason. You can ask a question and probably come up with a decent one. So super thankful for that. And, you know, that's why I'm looking forward to like going to the big blocks this weekend and world finals. That's always obviously a big weekend that gets a lot of viewers. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it was a huge, huge learning thing that obviously paid some dividends now with the NBC thing coming through. They saw my reel after I cut all of my stuff from dirt vision over the summer and sent it off. And they were like, okay, you prove that you can work on camera. So let's, let's try something out. Nice. Uh, I want to ask you about the work area and I, and I know the, you know, the, the madness of the work area, like for, for those of us that have kind of been in there, it's, it's one thing, but like, when you kind of see it, I feel like you don't quite understand like just how tense it can be. And, and, you know, you've got that clock running and all of that stuff, but uh, from your perspective, like walk me through what it's like when, when a car comes into the work area and like people just descend on it and there's damage and like, you know, you're trying to like describe the madness and, and trying to figure out what they're looking at. Like explain the kind of work area to me from, from the perspective of a pit reporter. Yeah, absolute mayhem. I think you yeah. hit it there. You know, they come flying in and there's no radios. So it's not like I can tune into a radio and figure out what they're talking about, what the driver's complaining about. You know, usually it's one of them dives in the window to figure out what they may need or think the issue is. And the craziest thing that just kind of caught me off guard the first time was how, like you said, everyone just descends on the car. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. whose car it is. Mm -hmm. Most of those teams, you know, only consist of the driver and maybe two crew guys, like if you're lucky. Um, and that's, you know, one man down when the driver comes in. So it was just crazy to see someone come down, whether that was, you know, Madden comes down pit road or the work area and you've got Brandon Shepherds and Gustins and everyone's crew just attacks this car to do whatever they need to do to get them out when they're out there, like battling for position on the racetrack, like the whole mindset of the work area was so baffling to see. And some of the work areas, you know, at some of the racetracks we go to, whether they're in the infield or off turn two, or we had some across the back stretch, um, made it a little bit confusing to try and figure out where it was. But like you said, just mayhem, they go flying off the four wheelers, pulling tires off the racks. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on because I'm just trying to figure out as I'm watching, I have no communication to rely on, um, which again, helped me be on the fly and not be so reliant on secondhand information. Uh, but yeah, it was super cool to see. Like that's, that's something that I feel like was very different and caught me off guard is just like the camaraderie of the work area. Like everyone just goes to work. doesn't matter whose team it is. You go to work. Yeah. Are you able to like ask questions in that situation or are you just trying to stand off to the side and just hear what they're saying uh most of the time when they're like actively working on the car i'll kind of stand to the side i'll walk around it i mean if they're up underneath the car i have no problem you know getting down on my knees and figuring out what they're looking at while mm -hmm. i'm talking you know that's that is where like the mechanical side of me fortunately i feel like kicks in like i can see them jack up the car and start playing with stuff and physically see what they're doing and know what changes they're making. So that, that was a huge help to have that knowledge to lean back on this year. So I wasn't relying simply on someone telling me what they were doing. Um, but yeah, usually I have no problem 
if that car takes off, I'll grab someone and be like, what'd you change? What'd you do? What was he saying? And, you know, we get the jokes of like, (laughs) boom, boom, Briggs, probably one of the most interesting personalities I've ever met, not even just in racing, just in general. And uh, he'd come, he was a frequent flyer down pit road and never seemed, he seemed to fail. And I'd talk to his crew guys. I'd be like, what, what did he need? Like, you guys just came down and talked to him and send him back out. And they're like, he needs a beer. He just was ready for a beer and wanted to know when he could come in for one. I was like, I don't think I can put that on air. You guys. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, well, I certainly appreciate the time today. Where can we see you coming up? I know we talked about super Dicker series and, and world finals, but beyond that, where can we see you? Um, tell us about the NBC deal. Like, you know, how did that come about and, and what races are you going to be working for that? Yeah. Um, I'm all over the place still, you know, I'm the good old freelance contractor. So my weekends never fail to be somewhere. Um, you mentioned it. Yeah. The big block race coming up this weekend. Uh, at Lebanon Valley. And then next weekend is actually my first race with NBC. So I'll be at Laguna Seca covering IMSA. So good thing I just, you know, learned a whole new series with the late models this year. I get to learn another whole new series that has like 85 flipping cars, multiple divisions, uh, all in multiple divisions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. My brain is going to be so overloaded by the end of the summer. Um, but yeah, that's my first race with them. That was a super cool deal again, that came together just where I've been in contact with them for about a year now. And it was you know, COVID definitely didn't help because everyone went to skeleton crews and cut down and all the hiring was kind of frozen going into this year. And, uh, Jeff called me, Jeff Banky with NBC called me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, actually I was in New York and said, Hey, we got an opening. You've, you know, been asking for a shot. We think you deserve one. Here we go. I was like, Oh, I need to start studying. Uh, so there's that one. That's the only one I have so far for this year. Um, with the season winding down, and then I'm kind of back on the NASCAR stuff too. I'll have Talladega and Martinsville with MRN. I'll do the late model stock race from Martinsville as well, the Valley Star Credit Union. And then World Finals, I'm actually going to go cover some arena cross as well. Um, so that'll be in Reno in November, October. Again, that Excel spreadsheet. I lean on that yeah. Excel spreadsheet a lot uh, <laughs> to figure out where the heck I'm going. But yeah, it's been an insane, insane summer that started off with only 10, 12 weekends that I'm working to like now have over 50 something races that all have worked. So whew, the holidays can't come quick enough, but at the same time, I mean, it's been such a cool summer to get to do all this. Nice. Well, thanks for the time today and uh, good luck with everything going forward. And uh, we'll see you this weekend on Dervision. Awesome. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Hannah for taking some time out of her busy schedule to chat. She's certainly on the rise, and I'm sure we'll see and hear much more of her in the future. She's got a great combination of experience and perspective that she brings to the microphone. Make sure to tune in this weekend and watch the Super Dirt Car Series live on Dirt Vision. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit dirttracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.